Hi, this is Jim. And this is Max. Check out our podcast, The Step Over, Liberty Ballers Podcast Network, for all of your Sixers' needs. Player analysis, game breakdowns, who would look coolest in a headband, and more. Subscribe to Liberty Ballers Podcast feed on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts, and check out The Step Over, a podcast about Sixers basketball. Mostly. Michael Kist, Benjamin Solak. It's the Kist and Solak Show, presented by SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. You are flying high on the Kist and Solak Show. This is episode six, powered by SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. I am your host, Michael Kist. Follow me on Twitter at Michael Kist NFL. As always, I am joined by the best doggone co-host in the game, Mr. Eight-Year Streak Without a Bad Day. He is Benjamin Solak. Follow him on Twitter at Benjamin Solak. That's S-O-L-A-K. Ben, how you doing, brother? Mike, uh, every day is a good day to be alive. On the list of good days to be alive, however, opening day of the NFL season is really high up there. We have made it. We are back. I'm so happy to be doing a preview show because we... Like, we go the whole season, and we do our like, preview shows and our post-game shows and all 22 film shows and blah, 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 blah. And then the season ends, and we get into the draft, and that's kind of like our, our heyday, our hey months. Uh, we kill those months, and it's awesome. And then we hit the off-season, and it's just, all right, scramble for good content <laughs> ideas every week. Got to figure out good content, figure out good content. And obviously, like, you know, this year, there was a little hiatus in the summer or whatever. Uh, we're doing a preview show. That means we're back in the saddle, back in the regular weekly grind. Yeah, we don't have to dig for the, uh, the the bottom of the barrel type stuff. I honestly think that's why I got into analytics so much this summer because I was like, I need mm-hmm. content, and this stuff is actually good. <laughs> <laughs> we're we're finally getting to the regular season. We're finally getting to the point where the Eagles can defend their Super Bowl championship crown. I, I know they had the preview show with with John Stolness and Brandon Lee Galton. They did their preview show yesterday. Check that out if you haven't yet. Um, but we do just want to make sure that we touch up on the injury front here so we're getting you the most accurate, up-to-date news. What we have is no Alshon Jeffrey, no Mac Hollins, no Timmy Jernigan, no Nigel Bradham. You get back, compared to last year, as far as our matchup with the Falcons, what's different is we get back Jason Peters, we get back Darren Sproles, we get back Jordan Hicks. The biggest deal for me, obviously, Carson Wentz is out. Uh, I think they can work around the rest. Maybe Alshon hurts a little more after that, but we'll get into the individual matchups as we go through this thing. And look, one thing I hate, absolutely hate, is making excuses because of injuries unless you're absolutely ravaged by them, and I don't think we are, and also making excuses because of referees, but that's a whole nother topic. So that said... Injuries and Bradham's suspension are looming large over this game. Are we wrong to point out how that can't be understated? No, I don't think so. I think um, especially because we're not going to be able to really know how exactly it went down inside the building. But it seemed for a while there, you know, the team was like, hey, you know, uh, Carson, I play this game. Alshon might be playing this game. And even this past week. Maybe Matt Collins, you know what I mean? So we don't, you know, week one, you want to say, oh, the team's been preparing and like the Nigel Bradham suspension. Okay, so the team's been preparing for no Bradham for the past, you know, month, six weeks or whatever. You know, when it comes to Mac or when it comes to Alshon, uh, it comes to Carson, they didn't know necessarily that they were going to be losing them. So as a result, you know, you don't know how much time has been put into the game plan. 
also, I mean, there is something to be said for, you know, first week, we don't really know how they're going to come out with uh, with Mike Wallace, who's a new addition. you got Nelson, obviously, Marcus Wheaton, DeAndre Carter, Shelton Gibson. These are all players that there's no real active regular season tape on them in the Philadelphia system. So you kind of don't know how these players are going to hit the field. Same thing kind of goes with Dallas Goddard. You know, Darren Sproles obviously didn't play for most of last season. So it's kind of like very peculiarly a new look sort of offense uh, for the Eagles because of the injuries uh, in that regard. So it's very interesting. I definitely don't think it's an advantage. Uh, obviously, injured players is never good news. Uh, and I don't know the extent to which the coaching staff is able to prepare for it. So, yeah, it could certainly come to hurt them. Yeah, and we talked about, you know, Nick Foles' performance in the preseason. And we're like, hey, don't panic. He doesn't have the entire offense with him. Well, now he's missing two wide receivers right out the gate. So uh, yeah, some, yeah. some built-in excuses that we won't try to hammer in to, to, too much. I, I hate doing that stuff, but it is definitely worth mentioning. As we preview this week one game between the Philadelphia Eagles and the Atlanta Falcons, it's weird, Ben. Because there's not much to work with from a tendency or performance standpoint for this year. But I think this Falcons team is largely unchanged. And the small things that they have changed, I feel, have been pretty positive. Uh, And we'll, we'll get into all that. But I feel like the overarching theme around this team is just wasted opportunity. And you've got arguably a top tier quarterback in Matt Ryan. And a very talented roster around him, one that I know you really like and have them like as the, the second most talented team in the NFL. Is that correct? Yeah, second best roster in the NFL. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So and so far, they've come up empty handed. You only get so many opportunities in this league, Ben. And that window, she closes quick. She closes real quick. So I feel like the yeah. Falcons have done a good job keeping that window jarred open. And I feel like they've been slept on a little bit. And we've talked about this before. And then coming into this season and, and even looking back to last season, right, with Sarkeesian, there's, there was always going to be a struggle going from Kyle Shanahan to Steve Sarkeesian. There's no doubt about that. And they yeah. were still a very efficient offense last year. But in key moments, it was like the equivalent of like a mouth fart. Does it help that this is the team's second year with Sarkeesian's system or as he adapts himself to the the remnants of Shanahan's system? Absolutely. Was it as bad as some might make it out to be? I don't think so. Again, they were efficient. They ranked in the top 10 in explosive plays created. Uh, But at the end of the day, do you trust Sark to get them where they could be with the talent on this roster? And I don't. But before the Eagles disaster, I thought it was getting much better throughout the season. Now, with that said, I don't think you can blame the entire season on Sark either. And you look at the situations that his offense had to deal with. Dead last in the amount of offensive drives in 2017. Dead last in average starting field position. There was a lack of turnovers from the defense, which ranked 26 in turnovers per drive. There was poor special teams play that led to the offense dealing with a lot of long fields. But here's what cannot happen, Ben. And this is according to Football Outsiders. And I alluded to this before, and we saw it in the divisional round. When it came to producing in the red zone, 19th in DVOA, and DVOA measures efficiency for those not familiar. So 19th ranked DVOA offense in the red zone with an offense that features Julio Jones, who had a 28% catch rate and one red zone touchdown and had a total of two, two red zone targets coming into week eight before they at least started trying it. That's pathetic. A 19th ranked red zone offense that features Devonta Freeman, and Tevin Coleman, and you come in 26th rushing DVOA in the red zone. An offense with Matt Ryan, and he has a 81 quarterback rating inside the 20 and a 45% completion percentage. You have those weapons, and in week seven against the Patriots on fourth and goal from fourth and one, 
you would call a jet sweep to Taylor freaking Gabriel and you lose five yards. Or you line up a fullback in a playoff game, in a must-have game on fourth down, in a do-or-die situation, you put that fullback out wide. So here's my thing, Ben. Here's the message. If you see the Falcons moving the ball with ease in week one tonight from 20 to 20, don't panic. Do not panic. Their offense with Sark has been a bend but do not break through offense until they show otherwise. Like, for instance, if it's on the first drive and you see them get inside the 10 and they get Julio isolated on a favorable matchup via alignment, and then you get him open with a nice play design and he scores a touchdown, okay, yeah, maybe then it's time to be concerned. But until the Falcons show otherwise, I'm not worried if they move the ball well in the middle of the field, and I'm not really too worried if they move it early in the game where they have been their best because late in the game, Sark just hasn't had the juice. No, I got you, Here's, here's my thing with, with the red zone concerns, because I hear you in the red zone was terrible last year, and like, I swear down, like, you watch their plays inside the tent, and I can't even name half the concepts for you, you know what I mean? Like, like the, the fourth and two play against the Eagles to win the game. It's just a two-man route concept. I don't know if you, like, it's just like high-low. <laughs> there's no name for it. It's just like a, a flat and an out with a sprint out, and there's nothing. They aren't common concepts. They installed those plays specifically to run in the red zone. It blew my mind. How is right. that possible? I don't, like, the thing is, like, that's like a half-field concept, and then if there was another half-field concept, I'd be able to name the play field. <laughs> but there isn't another half-field on the other side. I think that's happening. So I don't even back. know what to call it, right? <laughs> but anyway, so I hear you when it comes to the red zone concerns, but my my, my theory, I guess, my, my prediction is is that it's not like this is a team where uh, there was a limited amount of talent and then the offense didn't necessarily have the best weapons. And so they were able to move it 20 to 20 with good scheming. Uh, and then once they got inside the 20 and the field really shortened, their lack of talent was exposed. Rather, the scheme was poor to me from goal line to goal line. Yeah. Okay? Like, I saw, again, two-man route concepts. I saw against the Eagles alone, I'm pretty sure there were five plays where he just ran two-man route concepts in the NFL, which is just awful. It's disgusting. Uh, And we're talking about, you know, Philadelphia, that second half, they gave up no points in the second half against the Falcons, right? Mike, they played cover three like every snap, (laughs) right? They left like just a massive hole at like 15 yards deep in the middle of the field. And they were like, hey, throw it here. (laughs) And he just didn't. He wouldn't. He ran the exact same half-field concepts into the teeth of cover three, for no reason. It was very sad to watch, really. So my, my theory then is, it's not like the red zone issues are a difficult issue to solve. They're very simple, right? Like, they had Julio on a, a goal line fade against Philadelphia. Darby broke it up. Well, guess what? Run the same play again. It's Julio Jones, right? Mm-hmm. Ronald Darby's like 5'11". Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it's this is not like a difficult uh, solution. It's not like, you know, you really got to come up with something creative here. So I would imagine there are strides taken and you brought up week eight, which I like because Atlanta started out four and four. All right. And across those first eight games, as you alluded to, they, they, the offense had to deal with a lot. The defense gave up at least 20 points, seven out of those eight games. Right. They ended the regular season six and two. Yep. Defense only giving up 20 points four times over those eight games. The defense tightened things down a little bit. So this is a team that ended coming into the Eagles game. Seven and two with some pretty significant wins over the Saints, over the Panthers, over the Seahawks, then over Los Angeles in a playoff game yeah. in Los Angeles. Right. So this is a team that was hitting on a heavy level. To me, they started to figure things out in the back half of the year. Now things got ugly against the Eagles. The Eagles defense did a fantastic job in that game. The play calling very much regressed 
from what you were seeing in week, you know, 15, week 16 against the Saints, whatever. But I think there was a big step back as far as being in the Philadelphia stadium and dealing with the speed and the pass rush on the Philadelphia defense and what have you. But to me, there were strides taken from the first half of 2017 into the second half of 2018, which makes me feel a little more comfortable about projecting development forward for the play calling and, and, right. and the scheme on the offensive side. And look, like you said, with the two-man routes, and then you look at Julio Jones's uh, catch rate and Matt Ryan's low completion percentage, it's because not many options are available, and they're, it's not quarterback-friendly to him, those half-field mm-hmm. reads and running into running those routes into the teeth of the defense. And the Eagles kind of figured it out. And I remember on one of those two-man routes, they, bl- they brought a blitz to, to Matt Ryan on a, on a play fake, and, and they obviously had it scouted up. It was, it was the concept we see all the time with them, the Yankee concept, the burner concept, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. And they were able to just – they out-schemed him. I remember watching that mm-hmm. game halfway through going, they should have a much big they, – they the Eagles should have a much bigger lead right now because they're scheming out of them, them out of their socks. Right. Do you want to know how well Schwartz had Sarkeesian's number? All right. They played a non-middle-of-the-field close coverage, so not cover one or cover three. By my charting, like on like on, on plays I felt comfortable diagnosing the coverage, they played non-middle-of-the-field closed three times. Okay? Once was on a second and 15. They had they were in like a, a plus situation for the defense, so they sent guys and they're in inverted cover two, yeah. which looks like cover three before the snap, and then the right after the snap, the corner starts to leak back a little bit. That single high safety closes down to a rat. It's a common, uh, you know, uh, counter. It's a common wrinkle to throw on cover three. Is that one where is that the one where Mills kicked back and helped with the pass breakup on Julio Jones, or was that another one? Because I saw him in inverted cover two another time. Right, so it's a, that Jalen Mills play was the second and fifteen play. They ran inverted cover two. The other time they ran inverted cover two was balls in the fifty. It's a great deep shot territory. They're running Yankee, and yeah, Philadelphia switches an inverted cover two. Mills drops directly over top of of Julio's route. Darby's right there in stride with him. Mills nearly picks it off. Julio has the pass breakup. The only other time that they ran what I thought was quarters, I wasn't even positive. This is pretty quick hitting play. Balls in the 50, it's first and 10, it's deep shot territory. Literally, like, like they ran exclusively middle of the field covered. Middle of the field closed with a single high safety, either cover three or cover one, except for when Sark got the ball on the opposite side of the 50 and had first and 10. Yeah. And they were like, all right, we know the deep shot's coming, so we're just going to play middle field open right now. Yeah. And we're just going to move to quarters and move to inverted cover two. And both times it was incomplete. Yep. They, they, they didn't do anything different except for like these, these scenarios because they knew. Yeah. Right? So, so Schwartz had, uh, Schwartz had Sark dialed to the point where really like in the first half, they're at the point where they're mixing cover one cover three, they're rotating some safeties down, they're doing some different stuff. In that second half, Mike, they ran so much cover three because Sark just wasn't attacking the, the in front of the deep the deep safety. Yeah. He just wasn't attacking with any sort of uh, levels or a little dagger concept, nothing. He just left it right there. So, all right, screw it, we're not going to cover it. We're going to let our linebackers play fast to flow. We're going to sit Rodney McLeod 20 yards deep and we're going to have our corners play eight yards off. And you're going to throw it to the flats and you're not going to get it one down, and it's going to all of a sudden be third and seven. You're screwed. We'll give you the speed out. We'll give you all that type of type of stuff. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. So, okay, talking about the passing game here, we got to get into these projected uh, matchups, which we're going to be doing uh, every week for these previews. We're going to go through who's projected to cover who in the passing game. So first off, cover pe- whom? Cover whom? Cover whomst? Yes. Who is projected to cover whom? Okay, so we're going to project. Whoever is projected to cover whomst. <laughs> okay. So first off, people are saying that Sidney Jones is going to be covering Calvin Ridley. I don't 
quite understand that. Maybe they know more than I do. Maybe you know more than I do, Ben. But here's the thing with that. The Falcons have shown as far as Ridley's alignment goes that he is only taking 20% of the snaps in the in the slot in the preseason. And Muhammad Sanu took 40% of his snaps from the slot in the preseason, 68% of his reps in the slot last year. So if it's Sanu versus Sydney, you're going to get a real quick idea where Sidney Jones is at from a from a play strength perspective. That's a heavy fact. But yeah, I, I, he's definitely got the, the quickness to stay with him. So again, if that's the case with Sanu in the slot, you've got Jalen Mills probably on Calvin Ridley, which could be fun. And then Jones, who, as I've said in the, in the, in the piece that I put up yesterday, they're going to move him around a lot. They're going to attack the defense with him a lot of different ways. But you will also see him a lot against Ronald Darby. And this is a team that runs a lot of two tight end sets towards the top of the league as far as frequency goes with that. So really the linebackers and the safeties in coverage are going to have to be just as good as the corners. And, I, and I'm going to make this, I'm going to put this out there now because I saw this a lot when Malcolm Jenkins was covering Julio Jones on the fourth down late in the game to keep that last drive alive for the, for the Atlanta Falcons. People forget that the year before Malcolm Jenkins was lined up in the same alignment right across from Julio Jones on fourth down 2016 on one of the last drives and had tight, tight coverage on him. And both times he had help over the top, but he was in his hip pocket on that one. And we ended up winning that game. That was the 24-15 game where, like, I think Leotis McKelvin had a pick, like his only one for Philadelphia. And it was, like, the most opportunistic, important play by far (laughs) of his Eagles career. He also got burned by Taylor Gabriel. They got set up bad on that one by Shanahan. Do you remember that? Yeah, 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 yeah. Where you got toast on double move. It was on like highlight reels the next month. Yeah, exactly. So, Ben, what do you think about these matchups? Where are you you confident? Because I'm pretty confident with, I mean, Sanu is going to have some ability to muscle Sydney off the spot on short stuff. But if we're looking at deep stuff, obviously the concern is just got to be, it's got to be Julio, right? It's the biggest concern. Yes, which I, like by I, far, like seen, I'm not saying, of course, yeah. Julio is a concern because he's an alien, but I'm not. Right. What I'm saying is, I'm I'm moderately concerned about the other ones. I'm not really worried about those. Yeah, so like you said, with with the whole the Malcolm versus Julio narrative, there's a bit uh, that I've seen, which is that yo, like Mills has got Julio's number because Mills is faced out with Julio now. You know, if he, he had him in that first season, his rookie season, uh, and then he had him a lot in this past game in the playoffs, uh, and he's done. You know, well against him. He's acquitted himself nicely. And, and Mills' play style translates well with Julio because Mills is very physical and, and Julio can be very physical. I would never, ever say any corner in the entire world, however, has Julio blocked out. That would not be a thing that you would ever hear from me, ever. Julio Jones is freaking difficult to cover. And they wisened up uh, with their targets on Julio, especially on money downs by the time they got into the second half. Uh, with cover three, you're getting pretty much man coverage in a deep third. So some comebacks, some of the the, the bench routes, which is what Julio is, is, a, is a master at this particular route, where he's takes the first three steps of a post route. So he's about, you know, like 12 yards down the field. He takes those first three steps towards the post, stops and cuts back hard right to the sideline, mm. right to the bench, the bench route. Uh, and that's one that is is um, nasty, devastating because the, the body control you have to have for that is ridiculous. And he got Darby on one of those. So, yes, Julio's obviously a big problem. I am not super comfortable. I don't think as comfortable as you are with Sanu against Sydney, hmm. simply because even a healthy Sydney Jones, who never has the Achilles injury and what have you, his number one worry for me is translating with guys who are physical in the contact window. Yeah. Like, Sydney's worst tape coming out of Washington by far 
was against USC and a young receiver by the name of Juju Smith-Schuster, <laughs> who then went and ripped through the NFL, playing a lot in the slot because he was very, very physical, physical brand of football from the inside. And that's what Muhammad Sanu brings. And Sanu is widely, in my opinion, an underrated receiver. So I'm quite worried about uh, that matchup. That's obviously Sydney's first, you know, live game action. It's been so long since he's kind of been in those shoes, and yet he's got a tall task. My number one concern just facing the offense in general is the Eagles got gashed by wide zone yeah. a lot uh, against Atlanta, and they loved running it. They loved running it to the Michael Kendrick side, which is not a problem this year. Uh, <laughs> but then again, like, you know, how much is Nate Gary an improvement on Michael Kendrick's? Uh, like, I don't really know. Uh, it's not great. <laughs> Uh, and then they also loved running it to the Jalen Mills side. Uh, very often, both of them to the, the right side of the offensive formation because Mills isn't super aggressive coming up when he's unblocked, and he's not super aggressive filling down as a force player. It's never been his brand. He's He kind of hangs back and he yeah. gives up some yardage. So they were very effective running that out of bunch sets and running that out of two tight end sets to that side. Uh, you know, you have penetrators there in Philadelphia's front so what do you do you crack down on them and you just run away from them you don't run into the teeth of them and you go and you get yourself into the secondary so they they were very effective in that regard that would be my primary worry is uh how well that devonta freeman tevin coleman duo is going to be able to get to the boundary of philadelphia and get to the secondary and start breaking tackles and with the depth that we're dealing with that defensive tackle that's going to be interesting to watch I'm, i'm actually fascinated to see how the run defense up the middle is of course, not worried about the pass rush. I think the pass rush is going to do just fine, even though Atlanta has a really good offensive line overall. But, you know, we got the best, one of the best pass rushes in the league, the, the most pressures in the NFL last year and typically dealing or dealing with the same type people here on the on the defensive side. You just added uh, Michael Bennett in a swap for Timmy Jernigan. So I think we can get home. I agree with you. Wide zone is the thing to look for with the Atlanta Falcons. They ran it more than any other team in the NFL last year. They averaged 4.5 yards per carry. Not only that, and we show a lot of love to Brandon Graham and Alshon Jeffrey for playing through injuries in that run for the playoffs. But Devonta Freeman was dealing with sprains to his to his MCL and I believe his ACL, if I'm not mistaken, or his PCL, one, one of those. But he was dealing with serious knee sprains, had concussions earlier in the year. Mm-hmm. It was a slow year for him. He can be a really, really effective running back if he is completely healthy. And if, from the reports I'm saying, he's completely healthy right now. So he he might have a little bounce back year here, and it could be special. I'm a big Devonta Freeman believer. And uh, if he gets going, then that might be a little bit of trouble. All right, so switching it over to the defensive side of the ball. This is this is a fun one for me because there's such a variance on how people view the Atlanta Falcons defense. And my feelings about this defense is that it's going to be a lot better than last year, Ben. I've already mentioned the lack of turnovers that they created last year, and they also couldn't get stops and couldn't get off the field. It just could not get off the field. And the third down stop percentage isn't bad or wasn't bad. It was around average. But if you look at like the whole picture, they were tied for dead last in place per defensive drive. And as far as field position goes in aiding the offense, again, the lack of turnovers were a killer. 5, 0.5, I'm sorry, 0.5% turnover rate on third down. 0.5%. That's not great. That's dead last. Dead last. That's really bad. <laughs> so this is the year that I think they go from potential to production. Really, this is the year that they have to because the talent on that defense isn't represented right now by the on-field product. And I think they make that leap this year. There aren't real holes when you think about it. And if you get those young dudes like Keanu Neal, Deion Jones, Grady Jarrett, Tack McKinley, Duke Riley, et cetera, et cetera, to take a small step forward all at the same time, I think you might have a top-tier defense on your hands. I really do. And I know they weren't that good last year, but they were starting to get it together. And they started to fulfill that promise late last year, which gives me confidence 
and you even touched on it too, as far as their points per game from the beginning of the season to the end of the season. And I think they can really make a big leap this year. And Ben, I know you're high on this group. I haven't been as high, but I'm starting to see the light. But the light bulb has to come on for them, and it has to stay on. They have to be more consistent, and it's got to start tonight for them against the Foles-led Eagles team. I hope that light bulb is off tonight. I hope they delay it by a week. (laughs) And I know you have thoughts on the picture of this defense overall and how it relates to this matchup based on their last matchup, right, Ben? No, absolutely. Uh, I think when you look at this defense, what gets me excited about them is is two things that you didn't I suppose one thing you didn't necessarily see last year and then one thing you did. The first is that I trust that Dan Quinn and Mark Manuel Manuel coached defense. I'll, I'll trust yeah. that defense to play and punch above its weight every single time, kind of regardless of who's on the roster. Uh, Dan Quinn is a fantastic defensive mind, one of the best in the NFL. Uh, and then Mark Manuel is a guy that people are very excited about, his uh, current the defensive coordinator there, as far as uh, a coach who's on the rise and who you know other teams are taking a look at, so on and so forth. And they do very, very well, Mike, to do what we as Eagle fans know is the holy grail. They get pressure with four. Yeah. They get pressure with four in a really big way. And what I think is very exciting uh, for them this year is another year of Tack McKinley who I think flashed wonderfully in his play in his rookie season, had a sack against Philadelphia, generated consistent pressure when he was on the field. Uh, another year for a player who was known to be raw coming out of UCLA is right. big time. And then on that, still on that front four, uh, Dedron Sanat, who's a, a rookie this year coming out of South Florida. He's a nice, I think, guy who can take some of those snaps that they lost from Don Terry Poe. And then you go to the secondary, and to me, what they were missing they added in Isaiah Oliver, the cornerback, who may not necessarily see long-term starting reps uh, because you got Desmond Trufant, uh, Robert Alford, and Brian Poole all in front of him. But what Oliver has, that Trufant, Alford, and Poole length is lack is length. He has size, right? He's obviously he's a he's a decathlete or something. He's unbelievably athletic. But Oliver has a size that was lacking there, which I think will be very very helpful for them in their coverage. And then you add in, obviously, they've got uh, Deion Jones, Devontae Campbell, and they've got Keanu Neal. They've got those pieces that we know about. What we saw against Philadelphia and what we know Atlanta brings to the table is a very heavy cover three, cover one team, like I was talking about with the Eagles. Uh, and, and Philly was able to attack them accordingly. And what Atlanta started to do well uh, was rotate guys down into the box, get eight into the box, and then allow their linebackers to play heavily downhill because Philadelphia against that penetrating front four was trapping and pulling and moving everywhere. It was very little zone from what we usually saw from Philadelphia and much more of those power style concepts because they were really looking uh, to bring those penetrating players in mm-hmm. and to get those aggressive linebackers to overset one direction to, to, uh, to aggressively start to strafe to one side and then come upfield on them all up the gut. Yeah. And what they allowed their backers and, and Keanu Neal to start doing is really what you would call run blitzing. What you, the second they would see sunlight, they would just go get into the gap and, and penetrate and cause problems. That's what I expect to see a lot of, Mike, it's, it's, uh, this coming up, uh, the, this game tonight. I would expect to see a ton of, you know, Duke Riley and Keanu Neal, your weak side backer and then your strong safety in the box, just flying downhill and immediately setting edges and immediately taking on contact and disrupting pullers. Because that's a very fine-tuned blocking system that you have to hit. And if you get one grain of sand in there, you can break it up. Philly, it really goes unnoticed, I think, when you talk about that game. But the running game powered Philadelphia for much of the first half. Kept them in striking distance, and then that defense really brought them home in the second half. That running game was very effective in the first half of Philadelphia. And so I think what you'll see from Atlanta is a a really 
concerted effort to get plus numbers in the box and then to play downhill into Philadelphia's trapping power style of an attack to throw things off. Do you think that they can be, because they're, remember, again, on, on the front end of this defense, that front seven, they're a, a pretty young team, a very young team. Do you think that the Eagles try to slow them down and make them think more than react with, you know, maybe some some pre-shift motions and some orbit motions and some shifts and then, you know, misdirection at the beginning of the plays more so than you would typically see uh, from the offense. And you might see some more wham plays and things of that nature to trap these guys coming downhill because they can't restrain themselves. Do you see the Eagles attacking them that way? I mean, you saw in, in the, the divisional round game, you saw them give – some orbity style, not really over. You saw them give Rockin and Jet motion. Right. Obviously, you saw them run a little wing T offense with Nelson <laughs> Aguilar. They were certainly willing yeah. to point you over this way and run you back over that way. Right. Now, they absolutely were. And, and Atlanta did the same thing to the Philadelphia defense, to be frank, because they're both very fast, aggressive, penetrating styles of defense. What I would expect to see more Philadelphia this this game that they didn't necessarily give them on that divisional round game is more traditional outside zone looks, which mm. they simply did not run. Uh, and I think the main reason that you're going to be able to pull that off is because you're not going to have Big V uh, play at left tackle. <laughs> you know, you're going to have Jason Peters. Yeah. And Big V really is a good run, uh, good run blocker, but his weakness in run blocking is mobility and ability to climb and get into space. Uh, fun fact about Jason Peters, he's really good at that. <laughs> and so that gives you the ability to run uh, your, your, your zone looks, which Philadelphia likes, to both sides of the field, uh, lets you run some more rollouts and sprint out stuff. The other thing, Mike, is if you had to guess over under how many RPOs Philadelphia ran, like you know, just give me a number against Atlanta in that game. How many did you guess? There are there are a few to come to mind, if I'm not mistaken. I know one of them was one where they had that crazy pass set on the left side of the offense, run look mm-hmm. on the right side of the offense, which was which is really unique and I love. I mean, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go five. Wow, on the nose from my charting. Oh, five. Ooh. Well done. You're killing it, man. But you, they ran one in the first half. Oh, really? One. <laughs> they ran one RPO in the first half, and then they hit four uh, in the second half as they were kind of winding things down, giving Foles some quicker passes to kind of get him into a rhythm. But I want to clarify for the listeners that when Ben asked me these questions off the cuff, he is never trying to be helpful helpful to me whatsoever. He wants me to look yeah. dumb, so I just I'm trying him. to get you. I was highly <laughs> expecting you to give me like eight or nine or something. You know, like, let's be honest. Against the Patriots, the Eagles were like fourteen. Yeah. Okay, so yeah. like if we were extrapolating for the rest of the playoff, but no, they they opened up the RPO playbook in the second half uh, with the success that Foles saw on RPOs. Obviously, there's added attention being given to it uh, this offseason. You know, it's kind of become the the buzzword around Philadelphia's offense, but I would expect them to hit a significant amount of RPOs, more so than they did in the first meeting. Yeah, and we've talked about them speeding up their play-action game to get the ball out of uh, out of the hands quicker to protect their quarterback. And, and as far as looking at that offensive line versus the Falcons' defensive line from a pass-pro perspective, um, i got to give the advantage to the top-tier offensive line in the league with the Eagles, which has to be the saving grace for this offense in this game. They have to play well. I think they will. And look, it's always important to win the war in the trenches, but that need becomes amplified when you've got a quarterback and two skill players out. So that's a very big deal. Um, I think they take care of business. Jay let's see what he can do. But I think he can put them in plus situations when it comes to down and distance. Uh, you look at what the passing game looks like with Alshon Jeffrey and Matt Collins out. We know it's Mike Wallace. We know it's Nelson Aguilar going to get a lot of snaps, right? So yeah. you're looking at Mike Wallace against Desmond Trufant which is a bit of a wash for me. 
Uh, Nelson Aguilar will likely see a lot of nickel corner Brian Poole. I think Nelly is able to go to work on him. And I'm not that down on Poole either. I just think that Nelly is coming into his own as a route runner. And I know he's going to have to step up big tonight. And he's gone from like the least clutch dude ever on the planet um, to an absolute gamer. Outside of that, the other wide receiver on the outside is uh, it's got to be Shelton Gibson, I'm assuming, because DeAndre Carter is yes. going to work a lot in the slot. So Shelton Gibson the on the outside. Begins. Yeah, the season begins. Yeah. And uh, he's going to get a lot of Robert Alford. You know, when I looked this up, man, the first thing I did when I saw Gibson versus Alford is I looked up Alford's 40 time uh, because I think that's the only way that Gibby might be able to get over on him. Uh, do I guess? I'm supposed to guess, right? This yeah, is the deal. Okay. Robert Alford, what year did he come out? I think it was 2013. Okay. I was not plugged in at that time. <laughs> Alfred is a 4 4 8 player. Oh, you're, oh man, I'm so much better at this game than you are. Yeah, probably. 4 3 9 coming out of college. Jiminy Christmas! <laughs> he can fly! <laughs> so, yeah, and look, he's also a darn good corner, too. Nothing amazing, but he's gotten better and is pretty dependable. Uh, if he keeps on his current track of development. No, I like Robert Alford. Yeah, a couple years ago, Atlanta Falcons fans hated him because he was pretty undisciplined. But I thought last well, year... I caught, yeah, I caught flack because I once did this this little, like, very casual poll that people got really serious about. Where I was, like, pick a defensive trio, and I was doing NFC trios. And for the Falcons, I was like, I'm going to pick, to me, their three highest impact players. So I picked Tack, Beasley, and then I picked Robert Alford. People were like, where's Keanu Neal? I was like, Keanu Neal's a glorified linebacker. Shut up. <laughs> and so I picked Alfred. Right? You know, I was pick I was I was sure. like for the Rams I did the Rams I did like Sue and and Aaron Donald and then Marcus Peters. You know, and for the Eagles I did like uh uh you know Cox, Graham, and then Darby. So I just like threw in the corner. I was like, Robert Alfred's good. And people were like, Why is he there? Because he's good. <laughs> yeah, man. Look, it's different for us on the outside looking in. When a player has a bad season, it's really tough for them to get credit from that fan base for the next year, even if they're playing well. When we're on the outside looking in and we don't have that previous bias against them, it's it's easier for us to kind of see them for what they are without those. You know what I mean? Like if, if Leotis McKelvin were to come back and have a good year, it would take like, I don't know, a full season of him having that good year to us be like, hmm. It was McKelvin ain't really that bad when he was garbage for us in the past. But anybody looking on the outside, not seeing that previous experience, we'd be like, yeah, he's having a great year, dude. He's good. But not the case. Yeah. Not that that would ever happen because he's not good. But anyway, uh, as as far as the rest goes, look, Zach Ertz and Dallas Goddard versus Keanu Neal and the linebackers, those athletic linebackers is where it's at for me. And here's what sucks about the Eagles missing two wide receivers. And it's not because Dallas Goddard is going to get some more snaps. I think that's awesome. But I'll make it simple. The Falcons are better in base defense and worse against 11 personnel, something that we might not be able to show them a lot tonight. So uh, Dallas Goddard and, and not Texas, able to show them a lot. He has little faith in DeAndre Carter. Yeah, but you know, you're talking about, so what are you going to do? You're going you're gonna, to you're gonna take Gibby off the field? So Nelson, Wallace, and then uh, Carter, so two slot guys? I oh, mean, wait, that's true. I didn't even count. Yeah, no, no, we're fine. 11 personnel with Nelson, Mike Wallace, and Shelton Gibson, which is like, Three players who are all 4-4 four, four players, and we run four birds every single play. <laughs> just straight Seattle. Going nuts. Yeah, exactly. You might as well just put a, put a running back in there for a wheel route or a check down. And then instead of that tight end, you put in DeAndre Carter, and now you've got four burners. No, we run, we run, we run 
the switch, uh, the, the running back switch, the bus route, where it's, it's, we're running four verts, but the halfback starts in the backfield and you do a little play action to him. And then the, the, the tight end goes to the opposite seam. And then, so the running back is alone on a linebacker and then he runs the seam route. That's what we're running. Right. It's decided. We are playing NCAA Let 14 me right call now. Call the plays. Listen, I could, I was watching that Atlanta offense. I was like, man, I could call a better game than Sarkeesian right now. <laughs> I'm telling you, man, Schwartz was definitely dialed in. We schemed them so bad. Okay. So, uh, all right. I think we covered that side of the ball. Is there anything that you want to talk about as far as Philadelphia's uh, offense against Atlanta's defense? Any keys that we missed, or should we move right into uh, predictions? Uh, they gashed the cover three by just running that quick little dump-off pass to the halfback in the flat, because in cover three, if, if you have just one receiver to the backside, uh, that linebacker who's going to be responsible for the flat is into the formation. And so if you keep the running back on the backside and you just you just jump that running back out into the flat real quick and Philadelphia would put a lot of traffic there in that five-yard area. They would kind of run little meshes and little curls to slow down that linebacker. They just dump it right off to the halfback. And that was just their go-to. They picked up like three first downs that way. So that's one to watch out for. And then uh, I said Atlanta gets pressure with four. It's because they run a lot of twists. They run a lot of twists, and it's the first game of the season, so communication's got to be good. That offensive line has been playing together for a while, obviously. Uh, but they're they're going to twist. They're going to stomp. They're going to run three man games, two man games. You got to be ready for it. All right, Ben. Let's get to predictions. Let's get to it. So, okay. Let's let me look. At, what's the betting line here? You're, you're the you're the degenerate gambler. Uh, Philly is a two point favorite. Two point. I thought it was down to one by now. I might be. It might be in some places. Uh, let me tell you. If it's down to one, no. If it's down to one, I'm still leaving that. Your boy placed a bet this morning on this game, but fans are not going to want to hear what bet I placed. Oh, did you bet on the Falcons, Ben? I think Falcons are going to win it. Oh, okay. Yeah, which I'm worried because tomorrow, or we're recording on Wednesday, today on Thursday, BLG is going to post the official first week of, of picks. I think it's out tomorrow. It might already be out today, but nobody's angrily threatened my life yet, so I don't think it's today. Uh, and I'm pretty sure I'm the only only staff member to pick the Falcons, but here we are. Do you know Do you know the over-under for the game? Uh, I would assume it's around like 48. I think it's going to be under. I think it's actually going to be kind of a low-scoring game to start, to be honest with you. Uh, I think I think Schwartz can can limit things in the beginning. I think the uh, the Eagles' offense is kind of they're going to need a couple of series to get their uh, their their feet wet, get their sea legs. So I'm going to take the okay. under. Okay, the over under. Yeah, I've got f- it opened at 47. Right now it's around 45 in most places. Oh, so it has been pushed down by smart people. Yeah, and yeah, no, at a lot of places it's now uh, Philly's a one or one and a half point favorite, and your boy got him at two, so we're feeling good. So I'm thinking low-scoring game, not unlike the playoff game. God, man, it would really suck to have two hosts say that the Eagles dropped this game. People are going to be very, very angry with us, and I'm kind. I kind of resent you for. Well, so that's our big issue. Is like I remember last year, the only reason I scored better in regular season picks than you is because we disagreed on like one game, and, and it was, was the Panthers game. It was the Panthers game, and then there was this game. There was the there was the playoff game, and the reason I picked the Falcons was because. I was wrong about the Panthers game, and I wanted to be wrong about this game. It was the only oh, right. game that You're I was wrong about. reverse jinx, which was a myth. It was not real. You were just wrong, and I'm better at picking games than you. I am. Which is bad news, because I'm picking the Falcons. Reverse jinxing this game. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I, I really do think that the offense comes out slow, and that the Atlanta Falcons offense and defense are going to take a step forward this game. It's not necessarily a wake-up call, but yeah. 17-14 Falcons. What's your final score? 
Uh, I would say it's probably going to be somewhere around like 20 to 17 Falcons. Uh, I think that a few more points are going to get scored. I think that, like we've alluded to, Atlanta can get down into the 20 pretty well. I do think there is something to be said for the fact that uh, Super Bowl champions, Mike, against the spread since like 2000 are like 13 and 5 or something. Really good, right? So the, the, the numbers are with Philly. Of course, most of the time Super Bowl champions aren't coming back out with the same quarterback when they planned on it being a different quarterback. You right. know what I mean? Like, it's a very unique situation. Yeah. Uh, I do think Philly's home crowd will earn them a few points. I have a lot of a lot of faith in the Eagles fans attending the game after the first will win to be highly disruptive. Oh, yeah. Uh, and and we've, seen this offense hum, yeah, we've seen this offense hum under foals. So I do think there's a chance for more points. But at the end of the day, I anticipate uh, with the amount of injuries that you're seeing for this Philadelphia team, plus the fact that I think Atlanta was quietly coming on quite well in the second half of the season. I do expect Atlanta to win this game. I expect it to really be a very unimportant factoid in the breadth of the Eagles season. I expect them to easily win their next two, I believe, against Tampa and and Indianapolis. Oh, for sure. To, you know, if you're worried about this team, like, you know, uh, just getting, you know, off to like a decent start. And I expect when Carson comes back, this uh, and obviously Alshon and what have you, this offense is going to be fine. Um, but it's, just, it's a tough spot to be in on this Thursday night game. Obviously, been a lot going on for the team. Uh, you don't want to lose a Super Bowl home opener. Obviously, that sucks. But I, I think that Atlanta is able to pull this one out. Sad. I think if Alshon and Mac are healthy, I would feel more confident about about picking the Eagles. I think I'm going to feel a lot more confident. I mean, I would spend a little bit more time deliberating it, but I'll tell you right now, you take still no Alshon, still no Mac. You give me Carson, I'm picking the Eagles. Oh, yeah. Well, Carson, for sure. Yeah, like, like in a vacuum, how much of a point swing do you think Nick Foles is? Like, easily, it's like, to me, like a four or five point swing. And this is a two point game, you know, on the books, which would, to me, adjust the line to like five or six. I think you're underselling uh, the variance in Nick Foles' game. I think Nick Foles could be like plus 40 or like negative 80, <laughs> not to be hyperbolic. Well, yeah, but the thing is you can't you can't put that into a book, so you got to put like three. So, yeah, okay. Uh, both of us hate the Eagles, apparently. We're about to get some uh, some hate mail. Uh, Look, we're just a, being what honest. What an inauspicious and inglorious beginning to the uh, preview show. It's very, very sad. Can you imagine how much we're going to hear about this when the Eagles win? I mean, I'll be ecstatic about the win. Don't get me wrong, but we are going to hear about it. And that's totally fine. They'll claim the reverse jinx, and I'll hate you. Yeah, exactly. Ben's the one that hates the Eagles. I think we've known this all along. So, oh Ben, we're going to be recapping this game, man. Me and you. So that's what the gentle listeners are going to hear next. They're either going to hear us apologizing profusely for picking against the team that won. We're not going to hit you with any I told you so stuff if if the Eagles lose. it's That's not a joyous occasion. We'll be breaking the game down with our regular nerdy, nerdy stats and film stuff. And you'll learn something from the loss. Very, very attractive and exciting analysis, <laughs> I believe is what you're trying to say. Can I read some reviews? Oh, yeah, let's do it. Yeah, okay, go ahead once. Uh, this one's my favorite. We're just going to start with it. Um, from Mako2155, five-star review. Only sort of review that gets input in the system. Uh, the title is Solak versus Baldy. It says, oh. show idea. Solak versus Brian Baldinger in a steel cage match. Uh, the debate being over Derek Barnett. Both guys have broken down the film of this player and have two totally different views of him. And I'd love to hear them duke it out on the show. My money is on Baldy, LOL. 
I'm glad that he clarifies at the end that it's on the show, because when it's just, like, us in a steel cage, yeah, I'm not getting in that. That sounds terrible. Bobby's an NFL offensive lineman. His pinky's over here, man. He clearly can withstand some pain. What do you need the steel cage for, for a debate? Have you ever seen a debate in a steel cage that didn't, like, break down into a brawl? remotely podcasting into individual steel cages. The the acoustics are terrible in an arena like that. Oh, well, uh, Keith Lewis uh, says, Go to Birds Podcast. Five star review, which I think is a great title yeah. for the uh, the review. Go okay. to Birds Podcast. Uh, I download more podcasts related to the Eagles and the NFL than I could possibly listen to, but Kiss and Solak I never miss. Hey. They go to a deeper level in a very entertaining way. I was afraid we had lost them when they dropped off the radar for a while. I love how we sound like fighter pilots. <laughs> you know, that made me that. I, was like, I felt very important. I love I love the love for the Kiss and Solak show, man. Yeah, no, Bushman 98. Kiss and Solak are fantastic. Five star review. Uh, he just says, Kissed and Solak are extremely football savvy. And then there's more stuff and it's all really nice. But I've always liked football savvy as a term. It makes me sound very like swashbuckling football pirate. Savvy is my middle name. Okay, this one's important. Uh, Guardy McBeef, which, interesting. Apple ID, my good friend. Best Eagles podcast. Five star review. Uh, Kissed and Solak were the best free agent pickups since the Dream Team, which that's not good. Uh, <laughs> I just wish Kiss would play Nightcrawlers with me. What is Nightcrawlers? You don't know what Nightcrawlers is? We've been over this. Let's make it very clear that I really don't know what anything is. <laughs> Any reference. By the way, guys, if you throw references or, or, or gifts that are like even just not totally obvious as a reference to something else, Ben will not get that reference 1,000% right. of the time. But here's the thing. He doesn't understand emojis. If you drop a ref, I don't use emojis. If you drop a reference of any television show that's been on Netflix in the past just six years, I will probably be able to grab that reference. And that is my only circle of, like, social, the uh, popular culture. You know what I mean? Like, that's all I got. Yeah. Ben is a sleeper cell Russian agent. Nightcrawlers is from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. How do you not... How are you on an Eagles uh, podcast? No, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've, I've always wanted to start Always Sunny, but I always feel like I shouldn't start it because then I won't be able to work. You know what I mean? I need to like find like a two-month period where I have nothing else to do and then watch Always Sunny. Because there's like seven seasons or something, right? There's more than that. It's fantastic. And I feel like I'm already a bad enough influence on you. Uh, we also don't need Dennis talking in your head all the time, so maybe it's better no. See, I've seen some episodes, and you remind me of Dennis. I remind me of that guy, Charlie, the guy in the gift with the with the, the red lines. That's why. Uh, or Danny DeVito. I'd like to be Danny DeVito. Okay, last one. Uh, Sophia Lyon-Couer is a French word. Uh, best of all time, boat. Five-star review. Uh, and I think you'll like this one of us. Uh, better than sliced bread wrapped around bacon and dipped in money. I love it. Best analysis in the game. Soaked in vodka. Wow. I feel like it was already good, and now you're not going to be able to taste the sliced bread or the bacon or the money. I'm too drunk to taste this chicken. <laughs> Before the show, Mike shows me his coffee mug on the screen and goes, do you know what's in this? <laughs> As if, like, it's a tough question to answer. <laughs> Stay sipping. All right, Ben, say goodbye. Okay, so I guess we got to give this a formal uh, goodbye. We're heading into week one here. Right. This is the last preview that we get to do before the NFL season starts. Man, I'm so freaking excited. It's about time. So, Eagles, Falcons, we will be back after the game to break it down for you and let you know what you need to know about what happened because we know it. Does that make sense, Ben? 
I want you to say goodbye to the gentle listeners. It was really graceful. I liked how there was just always another clause coming. <laughs> uh, as always, this has been the Kiss and Solak show here on Bleeding Green Nation. I have been Benjamin Solak on Twitter, at Benjamin Solak. That's that's what I like. with Michael Kist on Twitter, at Michael Kist, NFL, K-I-S-T. Uh, please leave five-star ratings and reviews so I can continue reading them out loud. We are 11, uh, Carson Wentz's number, short of 400, which means we are 111 which is like Carson Wentz's number, but more, uh, from 500. So that's exciting. Uh, let's make sure we hit those benchmark numbers. Yeah, we'll be getting, obviously, the game recap show immediately up on Friday. Schedule is, of course, a little bit different than what you'll usually see from us because it's a Thursday night game. Uh, but you can expect then the upcoming Monday show to be a little bit more fan NFL interaction oriented. Once the all 22 drops, all 22, Mike, very important. Mm. Uh, you'll be seeing film review for us on Thursday's game with all those hot takes. Uh, and then it's time to start previewing the Tampa Bay Buccaneers for week two. Obviously, we'll have some film on them as well, their 2018 look. And you'll hear those preview shows as we get you ready for those games as well. Thank you so much for listening. We enjoy having you all. You're going to get sick of Kisten Solak during this season because we all we got, we all we need. Fly, Eagles, fly. They're going to stop. They're going to run three-man games, two-man games. You got to be ready for it. Dude, I'm... <laughs> Dude, <laughs> I kept myself together. Why can't you keep yourself together? The hungry eyes just coming out of play out of nowhere. <laughs> yeah, wait, what song was that? That was Hungry Eyes. Hungry Eyes. <laughs> I don't know Hungry Eyes. Oh, man. Okay. All right. Well, it's not as funny to me anymore. Okay. <laughs> I still find it, yeah. Hey guys, this is John Stolness from The Good Fight and the Phillies podcast, Hitting Season, where I talk to Phillies beat writers, broadcasters, and fellow Good Fight bloggers, as well as national baseball writers, and the occasional interview with Matt Klintak and Gabe Kapler. Also, you'll get continued success, a Phil's podcast hosted by Justin Clue and Liz Rocher covering all things Phillies, and The Dirty Inning, a hilarious podcast hosted by Justin and Trevor Strunk, looking at the very worst innings in Phillies history. Make sure you are subscribed to The Good Fight podcast feed.